Really, we are in this section of Ezekiel. You can open your Bibles. We'll be in Ezekiel uh, chapter 43. We'll begin tonight. And we are looking at the millennial temples, I have said. So, Father, we do pray that you would just bless this time in the study of your word once again. We're grateful that, Lord, this is written for us. And even though it is um, not looked at by many pastors and many churches. There's something here for us as we go through this. It's it's not wasted space. It's not mundane. It's not just uh, something that's a waste of time. This is our future. We have a glorious future that is ahead for us, a future of where Jesus will come and rule and reign. We get to rule and reign as well. And Lord, to where this temple will be standing, a glorious temple. So we get um, a little bit of, get to look at the, uh, the blueprints of it uh, that will come to pass. And because we know everything that is in your word is true. And even as Isaiah, when he began to prophesy in his ministry, that he was told to write these things down that must come to pass, just as John the Revelator in the New Testament was told. So I pray our hearts would be stirred knowing that you have a glorious future for us, knowing that, Lord, that we're going to see this holy mountain with the temple that will be standing there and you in the midst of the temple. And so, Lord, we just pray that you'd help us be attentive right now to make application and, Lord, to be uh, edified and encouraged. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So beginning in chapter 40, we began to see that Ezekiel is taken to that period of time that we call the millennium reign. Now, I want to remind you, as most of you know, that what lies ahead is, as we are in the last days, I believe that the coming of the Lord is very near, uh, nearer than we think. That's what I like to believe. And that the Lord can come for his church at any time. It's called the rapture of the church, where he takes us to where we meet him in the air, and then we're going to be hiding in his chamber that is tucked away in heaven for the marriage feast of the Lamb, for that time where we're going to be there with him. Meantime, here on earth, there's that seven years of tribulation that will be taking place that will lead up to the end of the tribulation where the battle of Armageddon will take place. We read about that in the book of Revelation. And that's when the nations of the world will gather in northern Israel in the valley of Megiddo. And that last world war, that's when Jesus will come back and we are going to come back with him as the, uh, his saints will be following him. That's our future. He will touch down on the Mount of Olives. The book of Zechariah says that the Mount of Olives will heave in half. And during that time, we know that he will judge the nations. We also know that he will restore Israel and that he will destroy the, the temple that is the tribulation temple that is yet to be built. In some ways, it's being built even as we speak because they're getting all the furnishings, all the priestly garments ready, ready for sacrifices, the blueprints, all of that ready for the temple to be rebuilt that will be the temple of the Antichrist because he will go in and desecrate that temple in the middle of the tribulation period. But the millennium reign of a thousand years will begin at that time. What is unfortunate, it seems to be, what I hear, is a growing trend in the church 
of those who are all millennials, no millennium. There's no millennium period. And there's a lot of teaching out there on YouTubes and on, you know, different sites that will tell you that there's going to be no millennium reign. And we know that as we go through the scriptures, even as Isaiah was told, as he began to talk about the millennium reign in the beginning of his ministry, Again, that now it shall come to pass in the latter days. Um, it will come to pass in the latter days. And he talks about the millennium reign. There's many, many verses of the Old Testament, particularly Isaiah and uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel speaks of that. And also the minor prophets. We will go into the minor prophets after a couple weeks here. We are done with Ezekiel. Uh, it is Isaiah through Daniel that is the major prophets. Then the minor prophets, they speak of the millennium reign as well. And it's going to be fulfilled. Uh, it's not spiritualized. It's not an allegory that the Lord's going to come back for a thousand years and he's going to reign and he's going to rule. Uh, he's going to rule with the rod of iron, even as the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 2. And he's going to rule with the rod of iron. So that's our future. And we get to rule and reign with him. Isn't that going to be glorious? And I want to remind you of these things because right now we can look around this and we get so concerned, we get upset, we get stressed out, we get anxious. And as we talk about the return of the Lord and what our future is, it is to bring comfort to us. As a Christian, you have no reason to be scared about the future. Yes, there may be perilous times that lie ahead that are even more difficult than now. I think we are in perilous times. There is, um, you know... Um, uh, upheaval and difficulty and we see the events going on around us on 4th of July we're going to pray for our nation because we've seen such a decline spiritually and morally in our nation and it concerns us but here's the bottom line that you and I belong to a kingdom that lasts forever yes we're going to pray for our nation yes it concerns us I love this nation and and I love that that God has used this nation in a mighty mighty way but the nations of the world are going to come to an end. And I can't wait for that time that the Lord comes back and he rules over the nations. And he is here on this earth for a thousand years. And this millennial temple is going to be standing. We're going to see it. So now we're looking at the blueprints of it. And we're going to see the ministry of the priests. And this is the highlight for Ezekiel, who was a priest. He'd been talking about judgment that was coming to them. During the time that Solomon's temple was standing, uh, he would see the destruction of Jerusalem and Solomon's temple. We know the second temple would be destroyed, and we know it was because of their disobedience and unbelief. And those are the things that we've talked about through all these chapters, but now here's Ezekiel, as in chapter 40, he's taken by the Spirit, and he sees this magnificent temple and we looked at the dimensions and, and in detail. But God is, is a God of details. He's a God of order. And we looked at it to where we can get an idea of, of somewhat of what that temple is going to be. And that temple will stand for a thousand years. And then after a thousand years, the heavens and the earth as we now know it are going to dissolve. As Peter says, in a fervent heat. And then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. We will dwell with the Lord forever. For me, that brings great comfort. And what I hear sometimes from ministry leaders is, well, we don't want to talk about the last days because we don't want to burden the people. Uh, we don't want to scare the people. These things are written for us not to scare us, but to prepare us, not to, to burden us, but to free us and to cause us to be comforted and to know that we have a hope and look forward to heaven. 
and not to get too attached to this world because this world's going to come to a disastrous end. And Jesus said that if he had not come back, that man would have destroyed himself. That flies right in the face of what, you know, some of these doctrines that come out, like New Apostolic Reformation and Kingdom Now Theology, that the church is going to grow and grow and take over the civil and, and you know, um, governmental uh, authorities uh, of the world, and we're going to go in and mass healing and then usher in the coming. It's not going to happen. Um, it is going to be a time where a man's going to rise up called the Antichrist that the world will turn to, and he's going to lead the world into disaster. It is a time where God is going to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. And as we look at that in Revelations chapter 6 through 19, it makes it very clear that the world's not going to get brighter, it's not going to get you know, uh, more grand, uh, all of that. It's going to get worse. And uh, I pray that salvation comes to our nation, to our neighbors, to this community. God still wants to save. We are to occupy till he comes. But we can be comforted because these things are written for us that we can be wise in the days in which we're living in and we can be excited about the future that lies before us. So now that the temple has been described to us, we're going to be looking at the Lord dwelling in the temple, the altar, and then we're going to see the ministry of the priests. But let's look at chapter 43, verse 1. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. So here we see the return of the glory of the Lord. Remember, if you've been with us in our study of Ezekiel, that it was in Ezekiel chapters 10 and 11 that Ezekiel was taken by the Spirit to Jerusalem. Ezekiel's off in the captivity. Remember, he was taken in the second deportation um, to uh, that area of Babylon um, that the captives were at. And he is taken, and he has a vision of the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, leaving the temple. And it would rise up from the temple, cross the Kidron Valley, over to the Mount of Olives, and depart. Because the temple had been a place of idol worship and sin and, and abominations to the Lord. So it was, it was a very sad portion of scripture that we looked at. When Solomon built the first temple, Solomon built it in such a way that... that as they dedicated the temple, the glory of the Lord <clears throat> was so uh, strong, was so glorious, uh, manifested in such a magnificent way that the priests had to stop ministering. It was a glorious time. Uh, even when Moses dedicated the tabernacle out there in the wilderness, that again, the glory of the Lord shone and uh, the people fell on their faces and they, they gave worship to the Lord. So all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory, leaves the temple in chapters 10 and 11. So how wonderful this is, glorious, especially for Ezekiel, who saw the glory depart. All of a sudden, the glory is going to return. And the Lord returning, uh, as we see, through the gate that faces east. We're going to talk more about the eastern gate as we get to the next chapter. And, and what a comfort that must have been. What a, what a delight uh, that must have been for Ezekiel to see that. And the question is, is he talking about the Lord himself or the Shekinah glory of the Lord? I believe he's talking about the Lord himself returning through the eastern gate. And Jesus will come back in great glory. Remember that Jesus said when he returns, 
that he will come back in great glory, that every eye will see him. It'll be like lightning flashing from the east and to the west, and that um, as he does come back, uh, in great power and glory will be the Lord. And, and it's going to be, it's not going to be secret. Listen, there are those that are out there that different groups and different theology that says, well, the Lord already came back. And he didn't come back. You know, those who say that, they ignore the clear word of God that says when he comes back, it's not going to be in secret. It's not going to be, well, some saw him and some didn't see him. Every eye will see him. So if anybody comes along and teaches you, and I know it's out there, and some people are falling into it to where the Lord's already come back. He came back in secret, or he came back only in spirit, or it was really in heaven where he, you know, the return was there to the temple. That's all nonsense. He will come back literally, physically to this earth, and we are going to come back with him, and every eye will see him, and it will be in great power and glory. So it's going to be no secret. So don't let anybody snow you telling you that the Lord's already come back or he came back in secret or whatever the case may be because it does not line up with what the Word of God has to say. And as we see this, we're going to see that the temple, uh, verse 3, it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The vision were like the vision which I saw by the river Shabar when I fell on my face. That's where he was in captivity. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way of the gate which faces towards the east. So in chapters 10 and 11, the, the, the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory, left the eastern gate and to the east went over the Mount of Olives. Here the Lord's going to come back. The glory of the Lord in great power and glory comes back to the Mount of Olives and will come through the eastern gate. And that's going to be gate, the gate that the Lord's going to use. And it's going to be a glorious, glorious, glorious time. This is... I can see Ezekiel writing this with just excitement. His voice to the sound of many waters. Does that remind you of anything? It reminds you of Revelation chapter 1, verse 15, as John is describing the Lord there as he saw the resurrected Lord standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands and the glory of the Lord coming back. Oh, there is a future. Listen, you have a future with the Lord, a glorious future. And when you get anxious and when you get upset and when you get overwhelmed, please remember that. And that's why Paul would write that keep your eyes on the things above, not just on the things of this world. Because we can say, Lord, I belong to you in a kingdom that lasts forever. And we're going to come back with you and we're going to rule and reign with him. Isn't that, that wonderful? Um, I wonder what we're going to be doing. But Jesus would speak about that in parables, in the parable of the mina, and the parable of the talents, that, that as we are investing in the things of the kingdom, we will all stand before the Bema reward city of Jesus Christ to be rewarded for what we have done for Christ in this life. Uh, we, we're not talking about salvation. We can't earn or work for our salvation. That's all by faith, by his grace. As we come in faith, the finished work of the cross, what he did for us, he did the work on the cross. But with that said, the Bible talks a lot about that he's going to reward us for what we have done in this life. Matter of fact, some of the last words of Jesus that we have in the Bible is in the last chapter of the book of Revelation, where it says, and behold, he says, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So what we have done for Christ, that's what will last. And in those parables of the talents and the mina, that 
he says, as the man came back, as he went away to a far place to receive a kingdom, he comes back, and the servants were to give an account. And those who invested, that we know that you're going to rule over ten cities, you're going to rule over five cities, you're going to rule over two cities. And I can't wait for that time. You know, we have a different role. It's going to be a different role than the Levites that we're going to see, the sons of Zadok uh, as well, that are going to minister before the Lord. But we're going to rule and reign with him. And so, so glorious to see this and wonderful. In verse 5, as we continue in chapter 43, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then I heard him speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name nor uh, their kings by their harlotry and with their uh, carcasses of their kings on their high places. And when they set the threshold by my threshold and their do- doorpost by my doorpost with a wall between them and me, they defiled my holy name by the abominations which they committed. Therefore I have consumed them in, in my anger. Now let them put their harlotry and their carcasses of their kings far away from me, and I will dwell in their midst forever. So God's going to fulfill his promise as he's going to come back. And he's going to dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. He's going to dwell in Jerusalem here in this temple. This temple is going to be the Lord's dwelling place. And how glorious it's going to be as we know that the temple was filled with his glory. What is interesting that as we read about Jesus, and particularly I want to remind you of this, as we're in this section of Matthew, uh, that Jesus is at the temple teaching. We saw that. And the religious leaders came and confronted him. He, he went to the temple and he cleansed the temple. Well, we're talking about the temple proper. The temple building itself, Jesus never entered into the, that temple because he was of the tribe of Judah. Uh, only from those of the direct descendants of Aaron's, who was from the tribe of Levi, could go into the temple, the priests, and they would go into the holy place. And then behind the curtain was the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest was allowed to go into that room on the Day of Atonement once a year. So we've talked about all that. Jesus never went into the temple here. This is his temple and the Millennium Temple that he's going to dwell there. And we know that as we've read this, there's no uh, menorah, there's no shoe bread table, there's no altar of incense. We're going to see the altar for sacrifices here in just a few verses. But there's only a wooden table that is there that will be before the Lord. But he will be in the midst of it. And what we had in the first temple, what we saw in the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant that was in the Holy of Holies with the lid on top of that golden box that had the the, uh, lid that was golden cherubim and the mercy seat and the high priest would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and that's where the Shekinah glory of God was. Well, now the Lord, the glory of the Lord, Jesus himself is going to be there in the midst uh, of the temple and uh, there's no Ark of the Covenant that's going to be there. It's going to be the Lord himself and what a a magnificent uh, time that's going to be during the millennial reign. In verse 10, Son of Man described the temple of the house of Israel, that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangements, its exits, its entrances, its entire design and all its ordinances, all its forms and all its laws. 
write it down in their sight so that they may keep the whole design and all its ordinances and perform them. This is the law of the temple. The whole area surrounding the mountaintop is most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. So as we, we read this, um, in these verses, describe the temple that we've seen that will cause them to be, first of all, they're going to realize they be ashamed of their sin. Uh, their sin of idolatry, their sin of fornication, their sin of rebellion, of uh, listening to the false prophets that ended up causing Solomon's temple to be destroyed. And then Zerubbabel's temple, the second temple that ended up being called later on Herod's temple because he expanded it by the Romans in 70 AD. Because we have seen that Jesus would indict the nation. He would indict the religious leaders that had rejected him. And we have talked about that quite in detail. But here I want to just a uh, couple things that, that kind of came out um, on me or um, that um, was noticeable to me that I want to highlight that, first of all, all these things um, that you make sure that, that you make known the arrangements and everything, write it down in their sight so they may keep the whole design, verse 11 and its ordinance, to perform them. So for us, the application is that there is a design here in this Bible and how we are to live, a design in how we can be saved, forgiven, coming to Christ in faith, and how we can live in godliness. That everything is given to us that pertains to life and godliness in Christ Jesus, and we are to know it. That's why Bible study is so important, knowing the Word of God. And then godly wisdom, and we want to walk in godly wisdom. We don't want to walk in worldly wisdom, but godly wisdom is that which is performing it, that is being obedient to it. And that is such a key in our life, to know it, to keep the ordinances, as told here, the whole design, keep it, and then perform it. That is, know God's word, what he has for you in your life. And great is the day when we make that our own. When we say, Lord, that I know that you have given everything to me that pertains to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. How to live in a godly way is not being religious, is not trying to be better than anyone else, is not trying to earn my salvation. But now that I am saved, Lord, that I get to walk in the light. I get to walk in the truth. I get to experience that abundant life because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But it's coming to him that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And also living for him, that he is the way. How he spells things out, the word of God given to us to, to, to respond in love. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, as John would write in 1 John chapter 5. That's such a wonderful verse for us to remember. And that we can experience that abundant life that he has for us. To, to not have to walk in darkness and in weirdness and deception and confusion. But the Lord desires for us to walk in his ways, which are good. And it's a blessing. And great is the day when we make that our own. And when we realize that there is sin in our lives, whatever it might be. It might be an attitude. It might be a sinful lifestyle. It might be sinful act of some sort. That you know that the Lord is dealing with you. That we have opportunity to repent and turn away from it and turn to the Lord and say, Lord, that this sin is going to just, it's going to do me in. It's going to wipe me out eventually. 
And you don't want me to be hurt. You want me to be free. You want me to experience just the wonderful you know, life that you have for me, the abundant life. And that does not mean that we won't experience any kind of sufferings or difficulties in our lives. Of course we will. But he's with us and his promises are true for us. And we know that the Lord is there for us. And we can grow in wisdom. And he's our source of strength. And he's our source of comfort. He's our source of everything that we need. But to know his word and then to perform it. Lord, help me to walk in his spirit. And then I won't fulfill the desires of the flesh, is what Paul wrote to the Galatian churches. But now we're going to look at the altar there where they did the sacrifices. And again, the sacrifices were done as a memorial to the Lord. Verse 13, these are the measurements of the altar in cubits. The cubit is one cubit and a hand breadth. So this is the long cubic, 21 to 24 inches uh, long. And the base, one cubit high and a cubit wide with the rim all around the edge of the span. This is the height of the altar. And from the base on the ground, verse 14 to the lower ledge, two cubits, the width of the ledge, one cubit from the smaller ledge, to the larger ledge, four cubits, and the width of the ledge, one cubit. The altar uh, hearth is four cubits high and four horns extending upward from the hearth um, that is told to us there in verse 15. Um, and then the altar uh, earth is 12 cubits long, 12 wide, squared is four corners, the ledge 14 cubits long and 14 wide in its four sides, and with the rim a half a cubit around it and a base and a cubit all around and its steps face towards the east. So the altar where the sacrifices will take place um, and the area will need to be cleansed before uh, they will be accepted by the Lord. We will see that as we finish the chapter. But what is interesting, what we're going to see when we continue through uh, um, Ezekiel here, is that uh, if you were to look at a diagram of the temple here and where the altar is, it's just next to the altar, there's um, a river that's going to run from the altar, right next to the altar. And we know that when Jesus comes back, and we've talked about this um, previously, because this, this temple, as we looked at the dimensions as we finished last week, chapter 42, this is 765,000 square feet. I mean, the temple proper itself is about a square mile. On top of a mountaintop, uh, we see this again mentioned in verse 12, what we just read here in this chapter, chapter 43. The whole area surrounding the mountaintop is most holy. So it seems like the temple is going to be on a mountaintop. When Jesus comes back, the topography is going to be different. Um, we know that, again, the Mount of Olives is going to split in half. And it's interesting that they have found a fault that runs through the middle of the Mount of Olives. So the Mount of Olives will heave in half, and the topography is going to be different. And there's going to be this mountaintop because sometimes... Uh, there are those who will argue and say, well, this temple can't be there. It's just an allegory or it's not going to happen because of the dimensions are so big. And when you look at Jerusalem today, there's no way that a temple could fit on, you know, the Mount Moriah uh, that it sits on right now and all of this. Listen, I have no problem with the Lord changing the to to topography. It's going to happen. And what's going to happen is the river is going to flow from the Temple Mount and it's going to flow to the west, to the Mediterranean Sea. And also we will see it's going to flow to the east, to the Dead Sea. The wilderness is going to bloom once again. And keep in mind that when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back. 
And, and the world we have seen with the uh, trumpet judgments and the sealed judgments, uh, and then, uh, of course, the bold judgments that uh, the vegetation's going to burn up, the, the oceans and the waters are going to turn to blood. I mean, it's going to be uh, such a disaster, great uh, geologic upheaval. Uh, there's going to be uh, cosmic disturbances that will happen. So things are going to be burnt up, uh, the water's full of blood, and Jesus is going to come back and cleanse all that. And it says that that river is going to go out and cleanse the waters of the world. And the Dead Sea, which you go to now, the lowest point on the face of the earth, there's no outlet. And so as the Jordan River comes into it, of course water can't flow unless it's going downhill. There's no way where for it to flow. So it's full of minerals, and it's dead. There's nothing that lives in it, in the Dead Sea. During the millennium rain, that fishermen are going to be fishing out of it. So everything's going to be different is topography in this river that runs by the altar that's going to cleanse the, the waters of the world. Very interesting. And then we're going to see that Ezekiel, as we continue in uh, finishing Ezekiel, is going to be told to go into the river at different depths. And we'll talk about the application for us as we get there. But let's look at this, this consecrating, um, cleansing this, this altar. Verse 18, And he said to me, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, These are the ordinances for the altar on the day when it was made, for sacrificing burnt offerings on it and for uh, sprinkling blood on it. And he shall give a young bull for the ascent offerings to the priests of the Levites, who are the seed of Zadok, who approached me to minister to me, says the Lord. Now, one of the things that we're going to see in the next chapter, and I don't know if we're going to get there tonight. Uh, I was wanting to get through chapter 44, but there's a lot there in chapter 44, is that the, the ministry of the priests and the Levites are going to be operating during this time. And it is the sons of Zadok that have a, um, a, a blessed uh, uh, position there, uh, an exalted position of the Levites that are going to minister before the Lord. And it says here that Zadok, who approached me to minister to me, says the Lord. Now Zadok, and we'll talk again next week about it, um, but Zadok was the priest that ministered during Solomon's time. When Solomon, um, you know, came to, when David died, um, there was one of David's sons that wanted to exalt himself and become king. And it was Zadok, as well as Nathan the prophet, that went to Bathsheba and said, go talk to David. Who's supposed to be king? Solomon. Well, Zadok was faithful. He, he would uh, be there to anoint Solomon as the new king. So because of that, they have an exalted position here in the millennium reign. They're going to minister before the Lord. The other Levites are going to minister before the people. So here, as he talks about it, you shall take, verse 20, some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar, uh, on the four corners of the ledge, and on the rim around it. Thus you shall cleanse it and make atonement for it. And then you shall also take the bowl of the sin offering and burn it in the appointed place of the temple outside the sanctuary. And then on the second day you shall offer a kid of, of the goats without blemish for a sin offering, and they shall cleanse the altar as they cleanse it with the bowl. And when you have finished cleansing it, you shall offer a young bull without blemish and a ram for the flock without blemish. And when you offer them before the Lord, the priest shall throw salt on them, and they will offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. And every day for seven days you shall prepare a goat for a sin offering. They shall also prepare a young bull for a ram of the flock, both without blemish. 
Seven days they shall make atonement for the altar and purify it, and so consecrate it. When these days are over, it shall be on the eighth day, and therefore that the priest shall offer your burnt offerings and your peace offerings on the altar. I will accept you, says the Lord God. Interesting, isn't it, as you look at this, as, um, because um, as we see here, there's a seven-day ritual for consecrating the altar, and then on the eighth day, the fellowship offerings and the burnt offerings will be, will be offered. The burnt offering, as you read in Leviticus chapter 1, was an offering where all of the animal was to be consumed on the altar. And as you read Leviticus, and, and again, it's a book that oftentimes is very much ignored. As you read the first nine chapters, it's talking about the different, uh, um, different sacrifices, uh, actually the first seven chapters. Uh, you have the burnt offering that's mentioned first. And the burnt offering was a free will offering that was, uh, g- you know, given. And what it was is the animal was put on the altar and completely consumed. And it was symbolizing that that worshiper that brought that sacrifice is saying that I'm going to give all to you, Lord. Of course, we are to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. And I pray that we would have a desire to be, uh, if you would, a burnt offering. That is, a living sacrifice to the Lord, to where we say in our hearts, Lord, I want to give you all. I want to give you all of myself, all of my heart, all of my worship. I want to give you all, not just some of me, not just on some days, not you get the leftovers, Lord. But Lord, I want to be surrendered to you. And, And I know that as we say that, that do we do that perfectly? No, I don't. I mean, even daily. There are times where that I'm not sensitive to the leading of the Lord. I'm not really pressed in in the Lord. I'm frustrated. I get caught up in things that are going on around me. But as much as Lord help me to be one, that every area of my life and every day of my life, I desire to just be a living sacrifice for you. And then there is the fellowship offering uh, that would be given to them. And, um, and it was a fellowship of, Lord, that offering that was given, a peace offering, that, Lord, I want to have fellowship with you. And what I pray for us is that we would have a desire to just have fellowship with the Lord, sweet intimacy with him. Lord, I love you, and, Lord, I want to talk with you, and I want to know you. And it's so glorious when we have that. And it is something that we have the privilege and the opportunity to have because we have the spirit of adoption that we can cry out, Abba, Father, and that we can come to him and that we can call upon him. And he desires for us to do that, to just be able to have that sweet fellowship with him and just commit all to him. That is a glorious place to be. And again, we don't do that perfectly, or at least I don't. And the Lord's still bringing me to that place where I am saying, Lord, I want to come deeper and deeper and deeper into fellowship with you. You know, one of the things that, um, that, that the, I've come to realize is the older I get and, and the longer I, I go into ministry. I turned 60 this year. Uh, I've been in ministry, full-time ministry, for nearly 30 years. And as we go into the next chapter, we're going to see that the priests were told 
that you guys make sure that you wear wool, uh, wear linen clothing, not wool, because linen would keep them cool. Wool would make them sweat. And in my early days of ministry and being a Christian, there was a lot of sweating that went on, you know, just working, and that's the way I was wired. And even in ministry, I'll work hard and keep working, and i got to work, i got to perform. And over the years, the Lord has shown me something, that ministry is not to be a sweaty kind of thing, but, Lord, to enjoy Him, um, to enjoy the Lord, to have fellowship with Him, that's the most important thing. And I'll tell you where right now where I'm at, where I really thrive, just being alone with the Lord. You know, you can put me, you know, in a cabin, sitting on the porch in the summertime with a cup of coffee in my Bible, and I am happy with, you know, no noise and going on. And I know that in ministry that there are those busy times. And don't misunderstand me. I enjoy serving people. I enjoy being here and teaching and being part of this family of God. I see it as a privilege for me to every day that I get to walk in and serve and minister the Word of God and to be a blessing to people. Lord, help me to do that. But I am finding that where I really have that peace and that comfort and that joy in my heart, it's just spending that time with Him, just being alone with Him. That is so valuable to me. It used to be I'd be so busy, I'd run out the door and, Lord, you know, a quick devotion or whatever. But I want more of fellowship with him. I want to, Lord, be that burnt offering. Yes, I want to be a living sacrifice unto you. Just completely give my life to you. Because there's future implications for that, rewards to be given. And, and it's the love of Christ that motivates us, our love for him and Lord, because I want to see people come into the kingdom of God. I want to see people grow in the word of God. I want them to know the word of God and then encourage them to perform it like what we talked about. But Lord, I also want to have that sweet fellowship, that peace offering, that fellowship offering that they would give, as it's told to them here, every day. And I want to just, just spend that time with you because, Lord, you are more interested in me personally. That's the most important thing is to know him and to love him and to, to have that time with him, to sit at his feet. So here, you know, you're going to offer up, you know, the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, the, that fellowship offering to the Lord. And, and may we be that living sacrifice of being surrendered to him and then just fellowshipping with him. The most important thing for you and for me is to know him, spend time with him, have intimacy with him. And the Lord will bless us so tremendously in our hearts and in our lives. We're going to stop there. Uh, we could have gone on more, but there's a lot in chapter 44 that we want to go over. And, um, and then in a couple of weeks, we'll be finishing the book of Ezekiel. Uh, we're, we're not rushing through this section. Actually, I was thinking... Maybe I'll just do it in two weeks. But, you know, going through it has really stirred my heart. It's a lot of study, uh, looking at it. But one of the things I've come to realize here, and this is what's so neat about the Word of God, sometimes portions of Scripture get ignored. But here, going through the Millennium, you know, temple, I, I was thinking going through Ezekiel, we're going to get to that section. It's going to be, you know, very, um, you know, detailed in all of this. It really has blessed me going through it this time and studying it. 
because it does bring comfort to me. It, it reminds me of the future that we have. But there are things here for me that I can be encouraged in and blessed in and such an re important reminder. So we're taking our time going through it. Hope you're blessed by studying it. We're going to look at the East Gate and the, um, the uh, priests that are ministering, the Levites. So much that is here that's going to bless us. So continue to tune in as we uh, are going to, over the next two, three weeks, finish Ezekiel. Father, I do pray. I just want to take time. Uh, perhaps there are going to be some that are going to be gone this weekend for uh, the 4th of July weekend. But we do stop and we pray for our nation. We look forward to this time when Jesus will come back and rule over the nations with a rod of iron. That he will rule from this temple. The glory of the Lord returning and, and dwelling in, in the midst of this temple. And his glory filling the temple. And his glory filling the earth, and righteousness will fill the earth as waters cover the sea, as Isaiah says. But Lord, right now we do pray for those around us, our community, our state, our nation, that Lord, there be a returning to you. Because even as the psalmist writes, bless this nation whose God is the Lord. And Lord, that we have gotten so far away from you. We see it around us. But Lord, you want to save a nation. You want to save people. And Lord, our strength is not in our own might and our own power, but Lord, in believing you. Even as David wrote, some trust in horses and chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord. So we pray for a spiritual awakening to happen in the church and in our nation, that there will be a return to your word and Lord, to the truth of your word that we continue to be discerning of the days in which we are in. And Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our nation, in our community. Lord, we thank you for those who fought for our freedoms. We celebrate our freedoms this weekend. Uh, we thank you for those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, um, our veterans. We just thank you for their sacrifice. We remember them. So we can be blessed and, and enjoy the, the freedoms that we have. And Lord, we remember those who are currently serving that continue to defend our way of life. And we remember the first responders. Um, Lord, just um, yesterday, um, there was a remembrance of uh, the Arvada police officer um, that was laid to rest. We pray for that department that you bring peace. We pray for the others that were affected by it, and we pray for his family. And Lord, we just remember them, those who are going to be working this 4th of July weekend to keep us safe. And so, Father, we have thanks to be, so much to be thankful for. But Lord, may we keep our eyes on you and the future that is before us. I pray that you'd bless everyone, keep everyone safe. Those who are traveling, keep them safe. And Lord, we look forward to continuing uh, to move forward, to draw closer to you and desiring to be a living sacrifice unto you and to have that, that peace offering uh, that we have, that fellowship offering every day, spending time with you, growing in our love for you. So we thank you for tonight. Again, bless the rest of our week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday again at 930, outdoor service, sanctuary will be open. Hope to see you then. God bless you.